Hey everybody, welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion. You are not going to want to miss today's episode. We have an amazing individual, Travis Bazell. He's an entrepreneur. He's a business owner here in Erie, Pennsylvania. He's a very close friend of mine, probably one of my best friends. And uh, I mean, this is going to be an exciting, um, pretty much a take the training wheels off and uh, put your kids to bed too, because this is definitely not your um, your your typical PG version, but uh, we're going to keep it as clean as possible, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So stay tuned. Sawbones is coming your way. Have a great day. See you soon. All nurses to the nurses' station. Welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story and my passion. I'm Dr. Ryan Molly, orthopedic surgeon, entrepreneur, business owner. I'm the cutter of bones. Uh, most importantly, though, loving husband and father of three young boys that keep me, uh, I think, getting older every day, but loving life. So this is really the story uh, kind of behind the scenes, the, the bare bones version of what makes me tick both professionally and both personally. And uh, we bring a guest on each week and this week. I'm super excited uh, for this uh, guest. He's not only a very, very close friend, but a business colleague of mine, uh, Mr. Travis Bazell. He is uh, a wonderful individual. He owns Orthopedic Solutions. It's a DME, a durable medical equipment company here in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, we met probably back in 2015, 2016, something like that. Uh, but he went to Gannon University. He played baseball there. He was there from 2006 until 2010. He graduated uh, with his bachelor in science in, um, uh, what was your bachelor in science in? Um, biology. Biology, yeah. So without further ado, um, Travis Bazell. So thanks for joining me, buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. I feel like we've done this once or twice in a different setting, but. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to keep this fun. Keep That's it good, lighthearted. Yeah. Um, ground rules, okay? okay? There really aren't any ground rules. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Um, when we do get to the question and answer session, you okay. do have the ability to kind of veto one question I ask you if you want to. Okay. Right? Okay. But if you feel confident, you can answer it. So let's right. get down to this. So, Travis, the way I like to start all these off is just a brief intro about who you are, sure. kind of where you grew up, your your story, what brought you up to this point. Sure. So, Travis Bazell, um, co-owner of Orthopedic Solutions, um, born in Erie, Pennsylvania, so born and raised here. Uh, went to high school here, um, went to Collegiate Academy, graduated in 2006. Um, as Dr. Molly mentioned, I'm a baseball guy. I went to Gannon, got my bachelor's degree in biology. And, you know, my plan the whole time was to go to pharmacy school. That was the mission. So all through high school, I worked at the Giant Eagle Pharmacy on, um, I think it was the Summit Town Plaza. I think it's now changed. Is it, were you a pharmacy tech? I was a pharmacy tech. I was too. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I was. So you got sick of going 5, 10, 15, 20, and you said, I can do more? Exactly. Okay. I, but my thought process was, no, no digs out there. I got some friends or pharmacists. <laughs> but no, you know, really, it was kind of like, that was my journey. And it was like, you know, Gannon had the 2 plus 3 program that I had fumbled my way out of because I liked to have a little bit too much fun in college with my roommates. Not you. <laughs> I know, right? So... I uh, I got to this place where I had just pot committed to finish my bachelor's degree and I was going to do the postback program at LECOM. And during that process, a really good friend of mine, we had traveled to State College to take the PCAT, which is something that I don't even know is required anymore. But think of MCAT, but for pharmacy mm -hmm. and it just did not go well. And I knew at that time and really it was more just me not taking it seriously and not preparing that I knew that I was going to have to, that it was, wasn't for me, right? I didn't take it seriously. It wasn't something that I was really passionate about. And so I was fortunate enough to get a phone call. So, I mean, I'm not kidding. Months before I graduated from <coughs> Gannon from a good friend of mine, um, Kyle Tier, who was uh, just a guy that I knew from school. And so we had kind of run in similar circles. And he's like, hey, do you, you know, you want to get into med device? And I'm like, what? Like I had look, looked at pharma sales and, you know, just things that I kind of had always felt like I had more of kind of that gift of gab and that that was probably going to be more suited for me than being in the back of a pharmacy. So, 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 so people that know Travis Bazell know exactly <laughs> what he is talking about with that yeah, gift of gab. All I do is talk. So I'm like, yeah. And honestly, quite, and you know, you know, this more surgeon and like in that world of, you know, med device sales and things like that. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Like I had no clue. It wasn't something that was on my radar. It was something that kind of like, you know, it's like all good things, right? It's like how they happen. And it kind of hit me. And we had a mutual friend, Derek Giancola, who I've become very close with. And he was kind of helped me through this process. He was um, a product manager at the time with the company that eventually I went to go work for. And so where I um, met my mentor, Russ, so Russ is kind of a big figure in my life um, at that time. And although he's not with us anymore, still to this day. So I get this interview and they're like, hey, you're going to go to Southern California, Irvine. And I'm like, I've never even been out of Pennsylvania. <laughs> so it's just such a like. Did you, did you have to get a passport for that? Or <laughs> Funny. This is actually hilarious. So the company is, so it's a DME company, so durable medical equipment, but mostly focused on spine. So spinal bracing, cervical collars, like those sort of things. And so they sent me a collar and they said, hey, like do some research. Like we want a sales pitch. And I was like kind of nervous. I'm like, I don't know anything about like C-spine protocols, cervical collars, 
what I no clue. And so I go my first, my first flight ever. And I'm not like, I was not like a very traveled person in my life to this point. Right. I'm like a broke college student trying to make it and not burden my parents. So I get to this point where I'm eerie to Philly. I get to Philly and I'm going to long leg Philly to orange County, John Wayne. Right. Wow. It's a flight for your first flight. That's a, that's a big, it's long big. flight in Philly. Sorry, my Philly, my Philly people. Worst airport of all time. Yeah, if you I, want to miss a flight oh, or have something bad happen, just fly through Philly or to Philly. The worst. So I get there and I'm messing with the collar. So if any of you have ever seen a servo collar before, I mean, you can get a general idea of what it is. But, you know, the Vista collar, it's like huge. It's like if you've ever been to a level one trauma center and have had someone you know or have been walking around and see someone in a collar, there's a 90% chance this is the collar. Is this the hard collar? This yes. isn't like the soft collar exactly. with the Velcro on the back. So I'm sitting there and I put this collar on and they're getting ready to board the flight. Cause I'm in this flight attendant or stewardess. I don't know. They come over and they pick up my bag and they're like, Oh sir, you can board first. And they upgrade my flight. So they upgrade my seat, like all the stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how to explain to them that I have this collar on. I'm not actually injured. I'm trying to just demo this and feel this out. But now I'm so far into this. I feel like George Costanza at this point, yeah. like running with his. Like, Did they upgrade you to like first class or anything like that? I, I don't remember like this. Unless you board the, the plane. Specifics. I got in the plane first. I think I did get like a roomier seat. They brought me. Yeah, it was like a whole thing. And I, But I felt like remember that episode from Seinfeld oh, yeah. where like. He's carrying like his electric scooter and he's running down the street. That's what I'm like. I don't know at what point the charade ends, right? Because I feel horrible. No, you're committed and you kind of go till the very end. So this is like, oh, it's got to be six hours. I don't know. It was the longest flight of all time. And I'm sitting there in this thing like I, I can't fall asleep. I can't do anything. My mouth is dry. I'm nervous. I'm You kept anxiety. it on the whole flight. The whole flight. The whole flight. So I finally land and, you know, they help me off. They get my bag. I'm like, how I'm like scoping the people around me. How long do I have to wait? But it, until, it's more like Batman though. Cause you're turning, <laughs> turning your whole body. Finally, right? I finally like get to like the Uber stand and I like take this thing off and I'm like, and I'm like, I just feel like my head just falls into my body. Cause I've been wearing this thing forever. So were they like trying to like spoon feed you or anything like that on the plane? No, thankfully not. But I will tell you this. I told that story at my interview killed and they said they'd call me and let me know. Within three hours, I get a phone call and got the job offer. So oh they were gosh. like, they were totally in. On, it was so funny. But um, so, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, there's a lot more that goes into that. And it's not, you know, just quite as like, you know, linear as I just described it. But but you, you went to Chattanooga, right? Uh, yeah. So I went to Chattanooga. And so the, prior to that, when that interview process, I'd met, um, so Russ Pierce was his name and he's just, I mean, a powerful guy, right? Like just the way, just, just he's contagious, right? His like energy, his enthusiasm, mm -hmm. like I think a lot of things that you and I share, right? And a lot of the people around us, like it was just his sense of urgency and like his vision and his passion to just want more and do better and go big and just go and go and build and build and build. And he just like, he really believed in me and like, he really saw something in me. And so not to say that, you know, I think you grow up and, you know, but I mean, outside of like my parents, right? Like my mom, my mom, my dad, you know, always really supporting me and, you know, giving me that confidence to like, you know, go talk that talk, walk that walk and do that. 
you know, it's not as easy as it looks, right? So like there is some natural charisma and just the ability to flow a little bit, but it's sure. not just like, you know, there's a sense of purpose to it, right? So it's like, there's people who believe in you. There's people that rely on you. There's all these different factors that like I didn't learn until much later in my life, but like as I'm going through the motions initially, like this is like where Russ comes in and he's like, you know, it's like my dad, my, you know, my mom, they kind of got me to this point. Yeah. Graduated school, went and did my thing, you know, had some hit my, you know, took my lumps, farm school didn't work out. Didn't do too great on a test. You know, it's like all this stuff. And it's like, Maybe this isn't your path. Maybe you can, but it's going to take longer. Yeah. To, you know. That's life, right? I mean, yeah. you get thrown curveballs, but it sounds like a great curveball that oh, you were thrown. And your baseball background helped you to be able to hit it. Yeah. And you've talked to me many, many times about Russ yeah. and like the importance, uh, the role that he played in your life. So you were in Chattanooga. I knew I know that you moved to the Metro Detroit area for a while, but yeah. what eventually brought you back to Erie, Pennsylvania? And yeah. when, when was that? So family right so this is kind of a crazy story so my wife now Lindsay, at the time she her very very good friend her teacher friend so my wife's a first grade teacher and allison and steven are very good friends of ours and at the time i'm actually i'm living in atlanta getting ready to move to detroit okay and i'm coming home for the holidays and you know, it was just kind of one of those, hey, do you have any friends kind of thing? And so Lindsay and I had met and so I was home for the holidays and we went on a few dates and kind of got to know each other. And then I was gone again. And so but during that time, we like really kept in touch. I mean, it was like our relationship. I mean, we knew everything about each other. And I mean, we were thousands of miles apart in time frame. When is this? So this is. Like 2011, 2012-ish yeah. is kind of when this whole thing kind of starts. And, I mean, it's just like, you know, you really get to know somebody. when, And it wasn't, like, forced either. Like, just talking all the time, always kind of connecting. What are you doing? Like, all that sort of stuff. And then, like, moving to Metro Detroit made Erie, which is, you know, where we are now and where our families are and where she lived at the time, super easy because mm -hmm. it's four hours, right? So... And we're in the beginning stages of dating. Like, you know, we're not having kids or getting married or like none of that's happened at this time. So it's like, okay, this is manageable. We really care about each other. Like we really know kind of where we're going. And so it's just a no brainer. Well, in a very, in one year. Or so in that 2012, 2013 window, I had the opportunity to move to Cleveland. So one of my best friends, Adam, who you've met mm -hmm. lives in Cleveland and it was, it's like, an absolute no-brainer. It's like, you got to do this. So I moved to Cleveland. Now I'm only an hour and a half. And I'm you with... just kind of kept inching your way back to Erie. And that's... like a magnet and pulling you. It's so funny because everyone says that. And it's <laughs> like, you know, my eventual plan was... Like, I loved all the places I lived in, like, that big city and the hustle bustle and, like, that whole thing. But now that I'm home, I wouldn't have done it differently. Like, I'm fortunate and thankful that it ended up the way that it did but you know initially Lindsay's plan was to come to cleveland and so she had a job interview got a job at a great school in cleveland and like we're 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 pot committed to cleveland we're close enough to the families we can make this work sure. and so at the time so i mean anyone that's familiar familiar with like erie pennsylvania like there's a big like teacher short like 
big, huge thing. Contract, she gets laid off in Erie. And the Cleveland thing made a ton of sense, right? Well, like a couple weeks before she's going to make her decision to come to Cleveland and she and I are going to create this life together, she gets called back to her old job. And so it was a challenge because it was like, okay, like what's our long term, right? We haven't had that conversation yet, but we knew that this decision was definitely going to impact it, right? So I knew that, and I knew too that I wanted to be close to family, right? Like my parents are not getting any younger. I've got two kid sisters that I have a really good relationship with. You know, at the time, Lindsay's brother, who I became very good friends with, was in town. Um, Her parents, her grandparents, you know, my grandmother had been ill and, you know, had come, you know, back to live with my parents. Mm -hmm. So there's like, all of these things, and it was like, you know what? I made the decision so that she didn't have to. And I was like, take the job in Erie. We've done it for how many years now? Another couple of years is not going to kill us. And I'm going to posture and position myself to create this territory to where Erie makes sense. And then there had to be an introduction with Tony Batika, right? Yeah, this story and- is even crazier. So my partner now, Orthopedic Solutions, the company that he and I own together, I get, I'm in Cleveland, right? So that transition happens and I'm getting ready to make the move back to Erie. I convinced this company that I'm with that Erie, Pennsylvania is the perfect center location for a territory, which by the way, folks, it's not. So <laughs> it's not like, it's just so right. I mean, I got to try. There's the hub that I had from like a sales perspective. You got to think I'm going to Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Columbus, upstate New York, like, that makes no sense. You would want to pick the area where you're going to, if you're going to be home, you can go do a bunch of stuff, right? I'm in Erie. I have, it's, it didn't make sense, but sales guy and sold him on that. So <laughs> I go back home. I get a phone call. My mom has a stroke a few years earlier and she's was totally fine. She's good. And she was having these hemifacial spasms and Ray Sakula is a neurosurgeon at the time at UPMC. Um, I'm very friendly with him. Great guy, wonderful doctor, wonderful, wonderful surgeon, just really, really good guy. And he's doing a follow-up after he does this special procedure on my mom. <laughs> and I get this phone call. He's like, Hey, Trav. I'm like, yeah, dad, everything. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hey, listen, I'm here with Dr. Sakula. I'm like, okay. He's like, he needs his brace. I told him you're the Aspen guy. And he kind of laughed and said, no, seriously, he's the rep for Aspen. You have exactly what he needs. And I'm like, get out of here. And he's like, no. So he calls me and he's like, Hey, you need to meet this Tony Fatika guy. There's this company here that he works for and he needs this brace. I need this special brace. You got it. You need to get it to him, get it figured out. Sends me Tony's number. I call Tony same. I mean, within 20 minutes, Hey, you know, Dr. School has called me. Here's who I am. I kind of know who you are. So his son and I had had a couple of funny run-ins with various girls that we may or may not have dated the same people. And so, but love his son, Anthony, but it was just funny how we kind of knew each other. And so I meet Tony and we're talking on the phone and he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, get me it overnighted. We'll expedite it, get the patient taken care of. And that's me and Tony, right? Sense of urgency, get it done, take care of it. You guys clicked. We clicked instantly. And he goes, hey, we actually have a dinner tonight with all of the ortho neurosurgeons for UPMC Hammett. Can you make it? I'm like, well, I'm in Cleveland right now. What time's the dinner? He's like, 
in an hour and a half. I'm like, well, I'm about an hour and a half away. Let me throw on a suit. I'll literally left Cleveland, jetted right there, went to the Bayfront Sheridan, met Tony, go through this whole thing. And we end up like converting like all of whatever other manufacturers they were using on, on the spine side to Aspen, the company that I, you know, represented at the time. And it was like, the rest was history. Like Tony and I went from there, developed this relationship for years and years and years. And, you know, it just, it just built. And we got to know each other, like on a business sense, on a personal sense, you know, our families. So what year was that when you officially moved back? So when I officially moved back, so I'm trying to think, I think it was like 2014 because my wife and I, so Lindsay and I got married in 2015. So August 1st of 2015. And so we had moved into our home in June of 2015 and then two months later got married so it was like we you know as we say we actually i got that from russ squeeze 10 pounds into a five pound jar that was like that we usually use other words for that but <laughs> yeah, exactly we won't use that for, yeah. the, for this podcast Stuff. so i guess that leads me to my my last question before we kind of move on to the next segment sure. but um you know this is about the time that i'm moving back to yeah. to uh, pennsylvania i was in metro detroit for um pretty much a decade i did yeah. my residency there uh, moved to Columbus for a year, did a fellowship, then was back in practice in Metro Detroit for four and a half, almost five years. Yeah. Made the trek back to Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And um, do you remember the first time we met? I do. So, so 2017 actually was the timeline. And so at the beginning of 2017, so Tony. But I was back in 15. You were back in 15, but we didn't meet until 17? Correct. Okay. So Tony had got a jump start. So Tony starts Orthopedic Solutions, right? And there's a various, you know, arrangement that is set up. But, you know, Tony starts Orthopedic Solutions. Uh, he brings on his son, Nick, who is running with them. And so and Nick is involved in Orthopedic Solutions. And so Tony and Nick um, and Lori, his wife, is doing all the billing and, you know, all the, you know, admin stuff. And so, you know, Orthopedic Solutions is is now kind of becoming more robust and starting to grow. And where Tony and Nick, it's like, OK, we need help. And Tony has always been like, we need to do something together. We need to collaborate. We need to do this. We need to do this. And so finally, like middle end of 2017, he's like, Hey, there's a lot of people looking, you know, to have this conversation and do this kind of stuff. But he'd be the one to tell you, he's like, you're the, you're the guy, you're the person that I want to run with and, 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 you know, be involved with this. And I really want you to come and do this with us. And so I took that leap of faith and, trust Tony and and know, you know, the caliber person that he is and all the people around him and the team and knew that, you know, I could provide some value and, you know, hopefully, you know, continue to just help the company grow. And so uh, I did. And so we're on and we're kind of talking about, you know, 2018. So January one is my, is my first day, but it's like Christmas time. That, that day kind of sounds familiar to me as a pretty important day for myself. That, well, and this is so this is where we're going. <clears throat> there is kind of just like a mutual colleague between us and Tony and you know, you and he's like, You gotta meet this Dr. Molly guy. And so, you know, this is so new. Like Tony and Nick really like they really helped me like in like in terms of this business model was so different from what I was doing. Manufacturer side, this is you know, spine only. This is, you know hips, knees, elbows, you know, wrist splint, it's boots, it's ankles. It's all of these extremity things that were never on my radar. And so we're talking through this thing and you come up with, you know, this mutual colleague and 
they're talking and they're like, you need to meet him and talk about DME and we're like learning about your practice and how busy it is. And I'm like, Oh, we got to figure that out because I mean, that's in the beginning of like getting this thing off the ground. It's like, that is like monumental in like creating like a pillar of growth within like the company, right? Like that sort of partnership and developing a relationship with, and I've never even met you. I'm just like envisioning like, so where was the first, was it Firestones? Firebirds. Firebirds. Yeah. So Firebirds. We, it's a couple days before Christmas. Right. And so we sit down, you have a, you had a buzz head. I think you were wearing like a, a three quarters that you had a hat. I want to say, well, I know it wasn't Ohio state. I know it wasn't Ohio state, but I felt it was like something like red, gray, Wisconsin. That sounds weird, but you came in and it's so funny because you just are like totally different. Like now, like I don't know what it was, but, and we sit down and we're talking about this whole concept of immobilizers versus range of motions. And we're talking about the benefits and like, I could see the twinkle in your eye where you're like, ah, that kind of makes sense. And, you know, you're like, there's another company that the, you know, a vendor that with the group I was with before it could be turnkey, but you know, you and Tony, I kind of like you guys. And it seems like it's a good fit personality wise. And we're like, you know, okay. And we leave and, you know, have a good Christmas. Yada, yada. Tony and I are like, Hey, you know, we did the best we could and, you know, hopefully it works out. And then it's like, couple days after christmas and you call and he's like hey uh no brandy i think you had brandy call us probably yeah. i typically uh yeah tag somebody he's a delegator guys <laughs> so she's like hey dr molly made his decision i'm like he's like you guys are in the other guys are out awesome start january 3rd i'm like dude that's in like a week she's like yeah i know and tony and i are scrambling we're like driving all over the place like getting walkers and canes like oh we weren't prepared to be like you're but, seeing 50 people on monday it was like but, but you made it happen made it happen for sure and but that was the motto right it was just like we figured it out we made it happen but what do i always say where there's a problem there's, there's a solution, solution right, right? And you it's just like get on your horse and you ride and you make yeah, it happen we just never we never say no right like and i know that's it's just like you know there i'm learning in life now there are certain things but it's like you never turn down an opportunity, right? Like explore the yeah, opportunity. Yeah, when opportunity knocks, I mean, you're, you have a couple options, right? Yeah. You can open that door yeah. or you can wait for that knock to occur again. And oftentimes yeah. that knock's going to not come yeah. again or not come for a while. So, yeah. and you know, I'm a firm believer in, you know, you, you make a decision, you move sure. forward with it. I can't stand paralysis by analysis where you can, you can, yeah, you go. And if it doesn't work, you pivot. It's, and, and you change. It's so funny, though. I'm just like reflecting on it now as we're sitting here. But like that time, like and, and I'm I'm a newbie to this. So a lot of this stuff, too, like the sales game and the dialogue and the sales cycle. And I, I got I can do that. But this new concept of service and not service in terms of building a relationship, but service as in like actually servicing a patient, yeah. like fitting like this more like clinical approach. Like I like without Tony and Nick, like in the beginning of that, like really like, you know, helping with that like transition and like making like that work for, sure. it was like, it was a lot. So, but you know, we got through it and then we just, we continued to grow, but it was just so funny that now like later in life and after I mean, all these years, yeah, of I mean, us, it's been since, since that, 
initial relationship started is over five years, five and a half years, which is wild, six years to now. think about. So, well, hey, we're gonna go to the next section, which is kind of the Q and A section. Okay. So, uh, ground rules there. Um, first of all, we got to do a beverage break. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I'm gonna be the first to apologize. Uh, we were gonna do some Buffalo Trace, um, but I didn't have the correct ice cubes and. I'm a firm believer if you're going to do something the right way, you got to do it the right way. You can't skip steps. And, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I got to give props to it. It's actually a, an orthodontist. It's okay. called Orthopreneurs. And um, one of his podcasts, the title of it was something that I totally believe in. And I'm kind of stealing this 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 motto. Okay. It's the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Right? So yeah. if you're going to take a shortcut here, it's probably going to bleed over into another part of your life where you're going to take a shortcut there, right? Sure. Like if you're not going to do it the right way, yeah. it, you're probably not going to do it the right way with other aspects of your life. So I think you know me long enough. So we're going to do the Buffalo Trace. This is not the last time that we're going to probably be sitting in front of the cameras together doing a podcast. Unlikely. Um, so I promise you next time. I'm but up. this time, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I've got a special treat for you. I'm going to hold okay. you to it. So we're going to do kind of one of my favorites, which is old world red so this is a amarone uh massey it's a 2017 it's chilled perfectly so we're gonna drink that i expect nothing but the best so while we go to the q a section and so what's gonna happen here is trav you're gonna go first okay and you're gonna ask um three business questions sure. and then three personal questions okay i do have the ability like we talked about earlier to veto one of those if i don't feel comfortable, but once you use your veto, you're done. It's over, <laughs> right? So um, I have to answer. But, um, you know, I've gotten through these a, a couple other episodes of this, and I haven't had to use any veto. So, right. And there's no carryover. So if you don't use it tonight, it's not like it carries over for the next podcast. So Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm going to let you pour that up. And so while you're doing that, I guess, you know, my first question is thank you so much. Actually, yeah. before I... Ask my first question. Why don't we? Uh, I'd love to cheers you. Oh, we have to cheers. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Again, thank you for uh, joining me. We spend quite a bit of time together. Yeah. Golfing buddies. Salute. Family, friends. Yeah. Salute. So fire away. Oh, that's good. I've never had that before. That is good. Oh wow. Yeah, probably should let that breathe a little bit, but wow. Camus might have a little... It'll it'll open up. Camus might have a little competition. Okay, so question one, you know, so it's challenging, you know, just so you know, as asking these questions, it's like, I feel like I know a lot of the answers to some of these questions because I've been so friendly, but like what I think people would be interested in is so, you know, orthopedic surgery. How did you get to, like, I feel like kids just don't grow up and say, growing up, did you know you wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon? Yeah, so, I mean, anytime you go back to the childhood, you always have to ask the mother, right? And my mom, to this day, swears that when I was like 10, 12, that I said I was going to grow up and I was going to be the doctor that helped fix people's knees and hips. I do not remember that, but you don't question your mom. That's right. And and quite honestly, I I can tell you that if I said that, I did not envision an orthopedic surgeon cutting people open, right? So my influence early on was the fact that I was always in athletics. I loved sports. Um, 
And when I was getting older, I, I loved tinkering with things too. So as a kid, I was the, the guy that was always taking my radio or remote control car apart and building other things with it or uh, using my hands to tear something else apart, building something with that and creating things. Sure. And so I was always very, very naturally gifted with my hands. Uh, my brain always kind of worked that way, problem solving. I liked projects. I liked athletics. So when I went to college, I was like, I'm going to do sports med. Um, and I'm just going to do pre-med as kind of a side because my plan was to go to chiropractic school and I was going to be an athletic trainer. Yeah. And, you know, it just kind of evolved. Um, you know, I, I we, we've talked about this so many sure. times before, but to, to kind of keep it brief, um, my and this will be a separate uh, podcast in and of itself with with the guy that actually helped me um, change my my whole vision of what I wanted to do. But uh, his name is Dr. Greg Coppola. He's another eerie guy here. And um, it was spring break. Um, it was my junior year. Okay. And, you know, kind of had my plan. I was going to chiropractic school in Chicago, had already accepted, was going out for my orientation. And my good buddy Greg Beato joined me on this trip. We took a detour to Michigan State. I met Dr. Greg Coppola, who was doing his sports medicine fellowship there. He's an osteopathic primary care physician, not a surgeon. And um, literally after that meeting with uh, Dr. Coppola, we had a couple beers together, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a Dr. Coppola. So I came back. I took my MCATs, and uh, that was like one of those first little forks in the road that, that I didn't see coming, and I literally pivoted at that moment. I went to my chiropractic kind of uh, orientation, but I didn't go to chiropractic school and ended up taking my MCATs, yeah. went to LECOM. And a couple more of those like little forks in the road occurred. Uh, the, the main one was literally when I, because then I wanted to be a Dr. Coppola. I wanted to be a non-operative primary care physician that's focused on kind of using my hands uh, from an osteopathic perspective. So um, manipulating and treating patients with my hands without cutting them open. And then I went and I observed a orthopedic surgery. It was a hip replacement. It was the first surgery that I ever watched and witnessed. And uh, quite honestly, when I saw that, um, I had done carpentry. I had done this. I had done that. It just made sense. I was using the same tools. And lo and behold, I said, hey, Dr. Coppola. I was very scared to kind of tell him because he was a mentor. He was a father figure. I felt like I would be letting him down. Um, he was very, very encouraging to me. And um, I pivoted made some switches. It wasn't easy because I had to go and I, I was behind. I was behind the eight ball. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was late to the game. And orthopedics is extraordinarily competitive to get into. But I was fortunate enough to uh, get a position in a, 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 a residency in Metro Detroit. Wow. And um, accepted that, did that, and the rest is history. That's wild. So you literally got accepted to chiropractic school on the way to orientation you make a pit stop in Michigan, meet this Greg Coppola guy, and the whole game changes. Yes. Why did you stop mm -hmm. in Michigan? Uh, so Greg uh, Beato, my buddy, we were um, college roommates and we were athletic trainers together. And he was planning to go to osteopathic medical school. And he said, hey, I know this guy in Michigan State. He's doing his fellowship. I'd like to go check out their osteopathic school. Do you mind if we do a detour on the way to Chicago? Yeah, and it wasn't that far out of the way. Yeah. And I mean, we had a week, we had spring break and yeah. you know, I'd never gone on a spring break trip. So I was like, we're going to a big college town. Like that could be fun. So let's do it. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, to keep on the, the, the train moving here, cause that could go in a hundred different directions, yeah. but okay. So my second 
question. I, you know, my third question is going to be related to whole health, but before I get to that, because I feel like, you know, that could be a longer topic, but my second question for you would be in the last five years being around, I guess just a little bit of a different world than I'm normally exposed to. I've noticed some buzzwords in your world that I think is kind of curious to me specifically related to what you do with hips and knees. So I'll keep it hip focused for now. Sure. But this concept of direct interior hip. Yeah. Like it's this kind of this thing that you, that at least for me, I have lately, it's like uh, you are always hearing about direct interior hip. So, you know, in your fellowship and like in your, but like, what's the, like, what is, (laughs) what is it that makes that kind of the. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I use a lot of analogies. So um, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. We've all heard that. Um, and there's multiple ways to skin a hip, um, to kind of keep it brief and kind of, you know, we got to remember my mom's listening to this, so I can't get too technical with this. Uh, your mom's maybe going to be listening to this. My boys may listen to this, but there's three ways to, to do a hip replacement. What I would call more traditional approaches. There's what's called a posterior approach where the patient's lying on their side, um, and the incision is on their side into the buttocks area. It's kind of at an angle. There's also what's called a direct lateral approach same kind of positioning patients laying on their side surgeons standing behind them incision kind of on the side of the hip Um, both of those approaches cut significant and very big powerful muscles the poster approach cuts the biggest muscle most powerful muscle in the body the uh, gluteus maximus muscle it also detaches a group of uh, very important muscles on the backside of the femur called the short external rotators both of those um surgical approaches and when you're cutting those muscles and and detaching those tendons creates inherent hip stability it's a very easy approach to teach it's a very easy approach to learn it's the first approach that i ever learned and most surgeons learn in their residency and training so that's why most guys do it Uh, on average these percentages always change but i'd say right now it's about 50 percent had you asked me 10 years ago it was probably 80 percent of the surgeons did that approach wow um second approach i learned was called the direct lateral again laying on their side it cuts the most amount of muscles. So it cuts um, the gluteus medius, it cuts the gluteus minimus, and those are what we call the rotator cuff muscles of the hip. So when you stand on one leg, your hip's gonna go out to the side when those muscles have been cut or detached from the bone. And you gotta remember, at the end of the case, we gotta sew all these muscles back together, which is essentially like trying to sew two uncooked hamburger patties back together. It doesn't work well well. You put the suture in, it cuts through the muscle. And then you're trying to uh, attach the tendons back to the bone, you're having to drill holes in the bone to reattach it. Whereas there's a much better way of doing this, which is called the direct anterior hip replacement. Most patients that know me or come to our practice uh, come a lot of times because of that. They hear that there's this guy that does this. Um, and I, I was very, very fortunate to learn this early on because um, n- this was not taught in residencies back in the late 2000s. I graduated in 2010, okay. and it just was not something that was was being taught. Sure. So I picked a fellowship where this was going to be offered because I knew it had a lot of potential advantages. Um, it's very different. Patient lays on their back during the operation. The incision's up in the groin area. Um, and the best part about it, we don't cut any muscles. We don't detach any tendons. And at the end of the case, all of the muscles go back almost like a spring-loaded mechanism to their original position. And the patient's recovery is significantly quicker. They have uh, very little use of a walker or cane. Sure. Most patients with a pr- traditional approach, maybe sure. a couple weeks, three, four weeks with a walker and a cane. These patients maybe 
maybe three or four days on a walker, maybe three or four days on a cane. Some never use a walker, some never use a cane. Uh, the biggest advantage though is that the hip is inherently very stable um, in addition to a quick recovery because you haven't to touch those muscles or tendons. So it's easy to do the operation when you're doing the other ones because you've cut so much that everything's kind of sloppy. Well, that's a bad thing after surgery because then the, the hip can be sloppy and the highest dislocation rate is with a posterior approach. It's anywhere between 5 and 10% in the literature. That doesn't mean that high volume, really good posterior approach surgeons have a, a 10% dislocation rate. Sure. But that's the bell curve. That's the average, okay? Whereas direct anterior hip replacements, knock on wood. Okay, I've done over 5,000 direct anterior hip replacements. I have yet to have one with a primary approach. Primary means first-time hip replacement. Uh, with the current implants that I use and the current technique that I've used, 5,000 with zero dislocation. So it doesn't mean it can't happen. Yeah. I've had revisions, which are big, redo, complicated cases, which have dislocated. That is a totally different animal, but zero primary hip dislocations. Um, and that really was the game changer when I first started practice in Detroit because no one, and I mean no one in Metro Detroit was doing it. I was the first person that kind of brought it there, which... They always say you never want to be the first person. You definitely don't want to be the last person. Um, I was a very, very early adopter, but I knew it worked. Yeah. I, I, I trained under Dr. Keith Barron at Joint Implant Surgeons in uh, Columbus, Ohio, where I did over 200 as a fellow. And I knew it was something that was big, that was coming. So it wasn't experimental at all. Sure. And um, when I got to Detroit, I had a lot of you know naysayers. I had people saying, this is a fad. This isn't going to last. It's going to work. Yeah. And, you know, I was a trailblazer and it was, it was challenging because I had a lot of people that were doubting me that were kind of poo-pooing me and saying like, ah, this is, this, you know, and as we got more efficient with it, I mean, we started doing it quicker and quicker and these patients did phenomenal. Yeah. So it was a game changer. So, and you know, I don't want to go out of format here, but two a to that question would be, and I've never asked you this and I've always been curious in just hearing you talk about it is, I mean, is it ever contraindicated? Like, is there someone you wouldn't do a direct anterior hip on? Yeah, so I would say 99% of the time I do a direct anterior. There's okay. been a couple instances where I didn't. Um, one would be if they have, uh, you know, previous hardware, right? Maybe they fractured their hip and they sure. had a, a, a DHS, okay. which is a plate and screw construct on the side of the hip. Yeah. And you would have to make an incision on the side of the hip to get that out. Okay. Not a lot of advantage to make a separate incision there and then come to the front. Um, and then the other thing would be, um, for, for very, very large patients that have a very large belly that hangs down over the front where the incision is going to be. Previously, that was more of a contraindication for me than it is now. I, uh, as you probably are aware, uh, three years ago, I changed the direction of my incision from a, a vertically oriented incision to a horizontal or what we call a bikini style approach, mm -hmm. which has significantly reduced the amount of wound complications and uh, infections. So uh, we made that change, and so I very rarely, I don't really remember the last time I didn't do a direct anterior because of the patient's size. It's usually because of some other extenuating circumstances like retained hardware that I have to take out, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to be making multiple incisions. And those patients are generally more debilitated too, so sure. they're not going to see the the functional advantage of doing this where I'm not cutting muscles because they're, they're already using a walker. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um well, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so lastly, on the on the professional side of things would be, so I'd be remiss not to bring up whole health, right? So the concept of, you know, you had gone, you know, through 
<coughs> all these changes. Chiropractic school, I was an athletic trainer. I'm gonna go now. I'm gonna be a you know internist who's gonna focus on you know this whole new and now orthopedic surgery, practicing in Metro Detroit. Oh, you know what? Actually, here's what I'm gonna do after I just you know get brought in as a partner. I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna go back to Meadville where I, you know, where I grew up. You know, and I want to get into that, but it's like you're there and then I break off and now whole health, right? So yeah, this concept of whole health. And so before I think you, you know, kind of the question is what is whole health, right? It's like, I know it's more than just, you know, your orthopedic practice, but this kind of mantra that I feel like you kind of have, you know, built over, you know, the last, you know, you know, your whole life, but especially like in your professional life over the last, you know, you know, two decades. Right. And so, and before you answer, I wanted to just put this out there because it's so funny how your vision works is Lindsay the other day, my wife says to me, she's looking at a logo of something and she goes, wow. I go, what? She goes, that looks like the whole health tree. And I'm like, <laughs> it just like, it clicked for me because all the things that you're talking about, like it's like that represents something now. It does. And it always did, you know, when I designed the tree and, um, so what does it mean to you? Yeah. So whole health, um, just again, I'm going to try to be brief here so that we can keep moving, but sure. whole health is, it, it was a lot more than an orthopedic practice. Um, my, my best childhood friend, Jared Oaks, which is also, he's been a guest on this, this podcast. Um, he and I back in 2013, very, he's a very, very successful real estate attorney um, out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we grew up together, went to high school together, went to college together. We were roommates together, best men in each other's weddings, both married girls from Detroit. And 2013, he's in a very successful law firm in Cleveland. I'm in uh, Metro Detroit in a uh, orthopedic practice. And we just had one of those like real moments where you're talking and, and we said, there's more to life than me putting metal and plastic into people and sure. him doing real estate deals. And we came up with this concept um, of building a wellness community. Um, and we looked at multiple, multiple properties, close to 60 properties in the Metro Detroit area. And we were thinking big, you know me, go big or go home. I mean, we were looking at four or 500 acre properties in Metro Detroit to create this wellness community, which had a medical facility, but it also had housing for families. It had um, a little downtown district where we had retail, wow. we had, um, maybe attorney's offices there. We had, um, you know, a cafe. It felt very European. Uh, there was a canal district right downtown, the Brownstone apartments. Um, we had a family garden. We had a, a, a preschool, um, focus there, but it was education on wellness. We were right, but the, the, the property that we actually decided upon was right next to a, a Metro park in Metro Detroit. Okay. And so we we literally had a site plan drawn out. We were going to venture capitalists, um, angel investors, trying to look to, to raise funds to do this because our project budget was close to three hundred million dollars. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't I don't have anywhere near that kind of money sitting around to do this. So neither him nor I were going to be able to self fund this. Yeah. Um, but th then we had complete care, which was the medical side of things that I was going to kind of be the director of. Yes, I was an orthopedic surgeon, was going to continue to practice as that, but. It was more than just orthopedics. It was nutrition. It was, uh, it, there was a spiritual component to it. There was the, the mental, emotional component to it. So 
he about a year and we fast forward we we pitched this to several people sure. a year and a half into it we invested a ton of time a ton of money into it he gets a new job offer with a new firm in cleveland i end up getting a job offer and moving to pennsylvania after i just became a partner um that's a conversation for another day and it kind of fizzled right sure. there was still this passion this vision and you know uh, I came to to Meadville. I practiced for a couple of years in, in the practice that I started with. Um, the fit wasn't right. Um, and I decided that I needed to do this on my own. And I, I broke out. I literally started my practice from, from, from nothing. And it was just me. And I said, Mike, I asked Jared, I said, Jared, are you okay if I use the name Whole Health? Um, and it was originally Whole Health Joint Replacement Institute because that's all I did. I was starting to just do hip and knee replacements and Dr. Phil Frendet came out of retirement and joined mm -hmm. me. But it was this focus on much more than just, hey, your hips are arthritic, your knees are arthritic, let me put a new hip or knee in. It was how do I get my patients well before that, right? So how do we change their their, their habits? How do we, it, it, they always, the way that I always kind of explain it is if, if I had this ball of clay, how could I create the most ideal patient to do a hip or knee replacement on, right? So it would have nutritional aspects, it would have spiritual or emotional aspects, it would have... Um, you know, if you're a smoker, we got to stop smoking aspects. If you are a diabetic, uh, maybe we don't cure your diabetes, but how do we get your diabetes under control? How do we lose weight? All these things, instead of saying you're too heavy, sure. lose weight, you smoke, stop smoking, you're diabetic, get that under control and come back and see me. All right. I wanted to be able to do that and help those people do that and then be able to do the surgery. So it's like, it's the full package. Whole health is a mantra. It's the full package of wellness. And it just happens that, you know, we, we do surgery as well. Nice. All right. Well, so, and I know that we're just eating up time here because that's what we tend we'll, to we'll do. We'll fly through bit. the personal so, stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So I guess my first question for you is in terms of, so, I mean, how you got here as an orthopedic surgeon, right? But, yeah. you know, you don't get here without the support of the people around you, right? And so, you know, someone who I've gotten to know over <laughs> the years, very fortunately, your wife. Um, who is a saint, by the way. So she knows that. Definitely. Uh, she's a saint. And so, like, you guys meet in Detroit. And so, like, at what point, so you guys meet, you go on your first date. At what point are you like, I'm going to marry this woman? Yeah. So, you know, when I first moved to Detroit, uh, I was so focused on what I was doing. Sure. And, um, you know, I had talked to a couple of my buddies, co-residents. One was an ear, nose, and throat resident. Mm -hmm. I was just like, listen, how am I going to meet somebody yeah. here? Because I am so fo laser focused on what I'm doing. I don't have all this extra time to go out and meet somebody. And I didn't have the desire to like just go out and go on 30 million dates. And so I did something that I never thought I would do. And um, I had to keep it from my parents, obviously, because it was kind of embarrassing to me at that time. I went online. I, he, my buddy Patrick encouraged me, goes, go online. You know, go on eHarmony. I'm like, that's what my parents would say. That's what people do. And then they leave their husbands or wives for this person <laughs> and move to Pensacola, Florida. So, um, you know, we, we, my buddy Patrick and I went out. We had a couple drinks. And the next thing you know, I woke up with my laptop. No, that, that means that <laughs> I, I went on Match.com. And I literally went on two dates. Um, both of them happened to be Greek uh, girls. And Karen was the second one. And we hit it off. Um and quite honestly, it takes a very, very special person um, to to be able to be compatible with me because I run such high octane and 
I've put so much time and effort and energy into who I am professionally that I need somebody that can understand that and understand that that's like, if I can't have that and do that, I'm probably not going to be a good partner right now. Granted, there needs to be that balance, but um, I'm not the guy that's just like a nine to fiver. You know that. I mean, it's well past five o'clock right now. 750. 750. I miss bedtime tonight, guys. Yeah. So anyways, um, I'm, I'm doing stuff constantly with this, but that doesn't mean that I, I don't put a lot of time and effort and energy into not yep. only Karen, but the boys. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't be where I am without her because she is absolutely my number one cheerleader, my number one supporter. Uh, she's the voice of reason oftentimes when, you know, your head can start swirling and you go down a rabbit hole and think, you know, this or that. And um, she's she's the one that helps to kind of bring me back to reality. Okay. So this is one that I've been thinking about a lot just over the years. And I think knowing you, I know your answer. But tell me your explanation after. But I'm going to give you two words. And I want you to pick the word and tell me why. Okay. Money. Legacy. What was the first part of that question? Uh, so... <laughs> I'm going to say two words. Yeah. You pick the word that more resonates with you and then tell me why. Oh, okay. That's easy. Yeah. Legacy. Yeah. Why? I mean, that's, that's everything that I'm doing. Right. So uh, at the end of the day, sure. at the end of the day, and I hate to be morbid here, but like I always kind of go to like funerals because mm -hmm. the legacy is like what you leave, right. When you're no longer here. So at the end of the day, what I would love for people to remember about me and to say about me and for my boys to know without a shred of doubt in their heart and their souls that their dad did and, and it was to create a legacy sure. and to do that in such a way that like that guy me gave of himself to his patients more than they will ever know the countless hours of sleep that i've lost um the amount of time behind the scenes doing the things that i've done but doing it the right way because again the way you do anything is the way you do everything, right? And whether that's pre-op planning, whether that was my years of training, whether that's the way I go through surgery, like I do not leave a surgery until it is as good as it's going to get, right? You don't get paid more if you're in surgery longer. So like money, who cares? Because I've always, you and I have had this conversation many, many yeah. times. People that focus on money, and, and, and not to say that money's bad, right? Everybody enjoys money because it helps you to live a more comfortable life and sure. you can support the people that you love around you and you can do really nice things with them and you can help a lot of people out. Absolutely. Okay. But that being said is when you focus on that as your goal, you're going to fall short 99.9% .9 of the time. When you focus on doing things the right way for the right reasons and creating that legacy, so to speak, the results come, whether it, whether it is money or whether it's some people have different aspirations. Like they want to be known internationally is the, the 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 guru of hip and knee replacements they want to be the guy on the podium that was never one of my things i'm a patient first guy right so when i preach i'm preaching to my patients and i'm talking to my patients this is this is for my patients right sure. to get to better know me and what makes me tick it's not for other orthopedic surgeons if they want to watch that's great but like um i'm not giving lectures or dissertations on papers and studies that i've published here that's not that's not me I feel like Pippin right now with all these alley-oops I'm giving you. Um, so, and the last thing. So, something that I know is near and dear to both of us, but the title, Dad. Like, you know, so, Luca, Santino, Anthony. So, like, obviously you have 
you have all these different roles to people, right? You have um, doctor, I'm Dr. Molly, I'm husband to Karen, I'm son to, you know, Gerald and Connie. So you have all these, you know, I'm big brother, I'm little brother, you know, have all these different roles. It's like, I know the one thing that you and I definitely through, you know, my journey with Lindsay, you know, and our son Maverick is like that resonation with like fatherhood. So yeah. I think the last thing is like, what, like, what has that been like with trying to build this practice? And I know that, you know, through your fellowship, like, it's just like, it wasn't like an easy journey and like to get to this place now, <laughs> like what is fatherhood and what does that mean to you? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was a little probably late to the ball game uh, by maybe my parents' standards in terms of having kids because all my sisters had kids way before I did. Um, I was in my early 30s when, you know, we had Anthony. Kept a and, log on that, Gerald. <laughs> but it, but it, was, it was the right time, right? Because yeah. I was so... I wasn't ready to be a dad when I was a resident. And we had Anthony when I was in my fellowship and it was the, the, it was the right time. Sure. And... You know, the first couple of years of your practice are, are way more challenging than any probably any of your years of residency or fellowship because you have no security blanket anymore, right? Like you're out there on your own. And, and fortunately, Anthony was young enough that I could dedicate the time and energy that I needed to then. And I still do. But now I make it a, a very big point to when I'm home, I'm home. Granted, this is an exception, right? Right. But... You know me because you've helped me. I have coached every single one of the boys, oh, yeah. and every single season, I'm coaching something. Whether it's oh, yeah. t-ball, we're past that, thank God. Uh, flag football in the fall, it's basketball, the worst. <laughs> basketball in the winter. Um, I, I I don't know if I should say, but I think I I informally slash formally committed to coaching a travel basketball team. Uh, haven't talked to Karen yet, so <laughs> anybody, please keep that on the down low. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so to me, that is the biggest like privilege and, sure. and, and, and thing I want to be able to be proud of at the end of the day is like, I was a really, really, really good husband and I was an amazing father, right? I was there for my boys. I taught them the value, just like my parents taught me the value of hard work, the yep. value of determination, grit, never say never. Yeah. And again, where there's a problem, there's a solution. Yeah. Awesome. So now we're going to turn the tables. All right, I'm going to ask you questions, and we're going to start with the prefer, uh, professional ones first. Okay. So I'm going to have to get a little rip real quick here. Is yeah, that okay. Fill it up. You want some? Yeah, just top her off a little bit. This is really great, by the way. So thank you. So again, right. this is an Amarone 2017 from Masi. So Masi. okay, go ahead. You start. I can multitask, man. I yeah. So orthopedic solutions. Okay. Yep. So you, you kind of gave your history. Sure. Um, you kind of briefly explain to people what you do. And most people, they think durable medical equipment. This guy sells braces. He sells walkers, canes, things like that. Like that is such a superficial view from my standpoint of what you do. And sure. quite honestly, if you would ask me what you did seven years ago, I would have given you that explanation, but you're a relationship guy. Sure. And you, you mentioned it to a service guy. So exactly. What does, what does orthopedic solutions mean to you and how would you explain what you do on a daily basis? Not only for us, but all of your clients. Sure. So, I mean, from my perspective, we don't sell anything, right? We don't sell products. We sell service. And so, you know, I think our whole group, like the first thing is it's a team approach. Like it's not anything I do or Tony does specifically, or it's like, it's, 
it's like we're a symphony and we're in unison. And the number one objective is to create a situation in which the patient gets the most efficient and effective service as possible. So, I mean, that means a number of things. You know, the turnaround time. Like, you know, this whole concept of, you know, this sense of urgency thing. That is, if we were a White House and with Big Solutions, a pillar that held up the roof would be sense of urgency. Nothing waits till tomorrow. I mean, and even Tony, when, you know, we talked about this in the beginning, I mean, this concept of on call. <coughs> I mean, we're a bracing company, folks. And 24-7, 365, you're not going to find a time when there's a physician who's in our referral network who needs something who doesn't get it no matter when it is. Is that a standard of care for DME companies where you have an on-call? So it's a gray area, but I believe it should be, right? right? I mean, and most of that is translated to the certain contracts you hold with certain vendors and so different facilities that we, you know, that we service in terms of like trauma call and things like that. But for me, it's like orthopedic solutions is, you know, it's that. It's like your whole, like what you had said earlier is like, there's a problem, there's a solution. It's like, we are the solution to everything. And I know that sounds kind of like braggadocious or maybe a little bravado, but it's like, there's nothing that we can't do. I mean, it's wild to think like some of the boots or some of the humoral splints, like the modifications that like the team make, it's crazy. Like to see what comes out of this, these labs and things that were so like culture shock to me, like not like in like a, Oh my goodness. But I mean, some of the things that like I've seen Tony come up with and it's like, oh, I would never have thought of that, but where there's a problem, there's a solution. It's a size eight foot, but the circumference of their calf is 30 inches. It's like, and that solution is orthopedic solutions. You got it. It's just like, there is no obstacle that we can't overcome. Yeah. And you know, the other thing in terms of like the service side of things is like, I just want to make sure that the referral, the physician has a good experience. The less phone calls you get, the better and quickly and effectively taking care of the patient and most efficient manner. But also like giving them like the time to make sure that if they don't wear this orthotic device for whatever ailment they're you know facing, if they don't wear it, it's definitely not going to help them. So if we don't do the best job we can to ensure the viability of the wearability of it, it doesn't matter. So it's not like we're not in the business of fitting. We're in the business of servicing patients to ensure that they get what they need and they're happy with what they get and they're going to use it. So kind of going in line with that, like yep. I, I know you, you, how, how many times you've kind of gone out of your way to take care of one of my patients personally, yeah. Um, to keep it light. And this can, you can veto this if you, if you don't want to, we're, we're obviously not mentioning any names, but like, sure. can you just, let's keep it fun. Can you give me one of the most uncomfortable situations you've ever had <laughs> while working <laughs> With orthopedic solutions, yeah. and doesn't have to be one of my patients, but just, um, yeah. I mean, listen for the kiddos at home. Uh, put your earmuffs on because, <laughs> oh, gosh, uh, we try to keep it fairly PG. We here. do, but listen, there may or may not have been a ball sack that was exposed. Uh, I oh, think geez. purposely. Okay, no. So I was fitting a patient. Oh my goodness! I, you you're asked. going there? You asked. Okay, so here's you asked, and here's what happened. I did. I may veto my own question. That now. is what it is. So we yeah. call it a scrotum. So 
you listen, scrotum, ball sack, whatever. It's like, oh, gosh. and this is, I mean, happened not to me. Where's the edit button? Several times, like over the years, but I have experienced it as well. And I can't tell sometimes if it's either purposeful or anesthesia or I don't know. I don't ask, obviously. But where a patient will have like a gown on and they're like needs their range of motion specifically like after an ACL or like after like an injury or, you know, uh, you know, like a tibial uh, plateau fracture, something like that. Right. And you you get this call and you're going to get them a CPM potentially for, you know, rehab after and you're going to put them in this brace and just kind of like, why is that guy maybe showing me his scrotum it's so <laughs> awkward and it's like no there's no way and you kind of just pull the gown down and you like look back and it's like it's back up and you're like no that was definitely on purpose and there really is nothing else to say because they're kind of awkwardly looking at you and it's like okay well i'm gonna have you sign here and i, hope I, don't, I don't think i'm ever gonna ask that question again to any of my guests you asked what was the most <laughs> awkward and that was that's the most awkward and i'm willing to bet if i called any one of our guys now and said, have you or have you not seen the male reproductive organ, uh, one or the other, in a fitting at a hospital? They probably would all say yes. So, Yeah, my head's spinning right now. Sorry. Um, so uh, along the lines of what you do, again, again, yeah. full service. I mean, you go above and beyond with all of your patients that you take care of. Sure. Like, what would you say, can you give a story of, like, the most gratifying time that you've taken care of a patient but it was beyond again fitting a brace or this or that like where you felt that this patient truly appreciated because again you do so many things that are outside the scope of what myself or probably even most 99 percent of dme providers would even sure put in their job description um so i can't like bring up like one specifically but like from like a generalization standpoint, like I can just tell you like, you know, there have been, you know, for me, the most important thing is like understanding a patient need, right? So there's like, you know, there's financial requirements to this, right? Like everyone thinks healthcare is free. Healthcare is not free. There's a cost, not just to the subscriber, but to the provider, right? And so... You know, unfortunately, not all things in this world are created equal. And, you know, there are people that are in positions that need help that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes don't always get those things that they need. And, you know, whether it's a person that, you know, has a diabetic ulcer who can't afford a deductible on a boot and doesn't get the boot and walks around on it until their, you know, foot has to be amputated, whether it's, you know, a patient who is just bedridden after their, you know, fracture or, you know, meniscal or ACL repair and, you know, can no longer afford, you know, the other company who continually charges them a rental fee for their CPM machine, right? So, like, all of these various things where, you know, our commitment to, you know, within the scope of compliance, too. Sure. But, like, I would say we go to the nth degree, no matter who you are, to make sure that you have the things you need to ensure a good outcome for you. Whether that means Tony 
and orthopedic solutions and I don't have the maximum benefit of whatever that outcome yeah, is. Yeah, I, I mean, I can personally say I've seen you multiple times take one from the team. Oh, yeah. And eat the cost of something where you lose. For sure. Financially. For sure. But we win. To, you know, you do. Right. And that's the thing is, is like you, you do because karma, right? You know, it's going to come back. Yeah. And it's going to come back. I was just having this conversation with Anthony the other night. He was yeah. like, he's like, what's karma? I said, there's good karma and there's bad karma. Yeah. Right. If you spread the good, it's going to come back at you. If you spread the bad, it's going to come back at you too. So be careful. So that leads me to kind of the personal stuff. So yeah. um, I know how important your parents are to you. Yeah. Right. I mean, Hungry Howie's been over to this house. <laughs> On, I can't tell you how many occasions to get us out of jams. But sure. What? Keep it brief here. Sure. What are is the most important lesson that your mother mm-hmm. and the most important lesson that your father taught you? Over. So life? I'll start with my mom. Unconditional love. There is. Yeah, there's nothing that I can say. Without getting too emotional, <laughs> just because, you know, we've had, you know, you know, we've had a rough, you know, month and a half where, you know, my mom sustained an aneurysm and, you know, she has been able to persevere because the love and, you know, the support system she has around her. But that's that karma thing you talked about. Yeah. Like, that's good karma coming back to her. Yeah. Because she has been a pillar of unconditional love and support my whole life to everyone. I mean, the network is vast i mean it's really is unbelievable but so from my mom's perspective it's it's that it's unconditional love and support and you know my dad um there are so many um what? one less one quality one quality i know it's hard with, with it's Howie. so hard <laughs> with my dad and you know my dad he's he's like the best guy i know um the best quality about my dad. Hmm. He always will have your back. There is. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what I'm running into. A burning building. An angry mob of people screaming at me. That dude will have my back. No matter what. I and definitely know your dad better than your mom, and um, I can attest to that. For sure. I mean, that guy's been over here on, like, a moment's notice in the middle of the night to help with the and sewage ejection pump. And that's the thing. is like, if you're with me, he has your back. Yeah. So. and But I can see both of those qualities in you. Yeah. For what that means. Thanks. Like, you, you, you definitely, your parents taught you well. Appreciate it. I've seen the unconditional love, but I've also, like, you've had my back on multiple occasions, and... Um, True friend. Hey. Salud. Salud. Okay. Yep. So next personal question. We'll try to keep it light here. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Shit. Favorite. If you were on a desert island and you had to have one meal okay. and one drink for the rest of your life, okay. what would it be and why? Oh, man. Ah. <clears throat> You know, mine would be chicken wings. I was just going to say, is it weird that I know yours for mine? No. Um, if I, if it was like, I'm in a desert, I'm on a desert island, my last meal or what? No, you're eating that for the, the next 40 years. 
every day. Brisket. Okay. Love. Yeah, it's not brisket. like brisket, macaroni, cornbread, no. collard greens. No, it's just one thing. Brisket. Okay. Lean. And you can and you can protein. put like a sauce on it. What kind of sauce would you have? My dad's homemade au jus. This dude smokes a brisket and makes sauce out of the. I don't even know what it is. It's unbelievable. And it's in a mason jar. And if you tuck that away, I would be totally fine. Yes. And what are you going to wash it down with? Bourbon. Bourbon. Zero questions asked. Yeah. Bourbon. You get no ice on this desert island. Fine. Bourbon. So just straight up. And like if I had to pick a specific, like people are like, you know, Pappy, I've had that. You know, it's like if I'm really, really being honest, like if money didn't matter, I would just say, yeah, give me the best bourbon that I could have. But like for my like sipping like day to day, like bourbon, I would be fine with Makers. I'd be fine with Buffalo Trace. I'd be fine with Elijah. I'd be fine with <laughs> any bourbon. So was that three? That was three. All right. So Who's now, counting? You thought I was going to veto the one with the guy in the thing when, you know, but I did. Yeah, I so kind of wish we the guy we, with can the thing. We edit that again. Cause, but now we're going to go into what we call the Sawbone seventh inning shoe stretch. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I've been waiting I'm for this. I'm super excited about this because this is the guy that created the problem with me and my shoe collection, which just continues to grow. As it should. As it should. That's the As whole. it will. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, Please share with us what you're wearing tonight. Give us a little brief history yeah. and uh, okay. your take on it. So, yeah. So, I mean, I guess to kind of piggyback about what you said. So, Ryan's obsession with shoes is, I think, ingrained in you and your natural. Well, it's because of my obsession with an individual. Exactly. So, Michael Jordan, obviously, big fans. And I've been a sneakerhead literally my entire life. You can go back, ask my parents. I mean, as a kid, I'm talking old school and one Vince Carter's, like old school Jordans. I mean, I pristine. I mean, we got two pairs a year, right? Your first day of school kicks and then your mid-year kicks. And I just absorbed this collection because I kept them clean. I always washed them after I wore them. Even the bottom of the soles, it was ridiculous. And so Dr. Molly asked me, he's like, hey. I want you to wear your favorite pair of shoes into, you know, the podcast and so and tell us a little bit about it. So my favorite pair are the Jordan 11 is the silhouette and this specific colorway is the bread. So what's not to love? What does bread mean? So black red, right? So essentially, you know, Chicago Bulls colors, but bread is kind of the acronym associated with any Jordan silhouette that's black, white and red. But for me, it's like growing up, it's the 11 is the silhouette of the Space Jam shoe, right? And so iconic photos. I mean, you've seen Michael Jordan with his goofy tongue jumping from the... You've seen him just doing crazy stuff and looking and going, that's it with that high black sock. You've seen it. Everyone has seen it. And, you know, as a kid, it's like that was something that like you wanted to aspire, right? It was like... Be like Mike. You've is, all heard. Is that there song. one thing about this particular shoe that you like the best? Um, so I love the fit, honestly. Like I don't know what it is, but um, I know you know we everyone has their different feels and opinions. But like I'm kind of a mid high guy. Like I love the Jordan One too. But like for me, the most iconic shoe for me is the Eleven Bread. And the other reason the shoe means so much to me is you know 
I have a son and the first pair of shoes, like when I found out we were having a boy was Christmas time. I mean, you remember this, right? I yep. mean, I got everyone in his family, all the boys, did. everyone got the 11s. They retroed. It was the first pair of sh- uh, shoes I bought Maverick and I got them in baby sizes, which makes no sense. And about four other sizes <laughs> that he could grow into. And it's just something that it's just like just that, you know, that, uh, Mufasa Simba thing. I don't know. It's like that father son thing. And so they just, they mean a lot to me. And it's just something that, uh, that I love. And like I said, it's just, it's a look, it's a feel. And, yeah, uh, you got the feel, you got the look, man. It's, and I'll, I'll tell it's you, like, you it's definitely Mike. were the guy that got me. So I've always been a shoe guy too. I've always been a basketball guy. Um, I just never was able to. Sure. Like oh, growing same. up, yeah. um, I, I would get my kicks, but I never, and I mean, never had a pair of Jordans growing up. Yeah, got my first pair when I was in, I think, med school or <laughs> residency because I couldn't afford them. Yeah, and um, when I met you and and kind of saw your collection and then had the means to be able to do it, um, I started my kind of passion and and it's it's kind of it's, yeah it's bad. So can I just <laughs> say though that he created a rule which I think is hilarious because he's broken it already about five times. So the, the rule that he told me was is that, hey, when I order a pair of shoes, I can't order another pair of shoes until that pair has shipped and arrived to my house. And, it, how many- and last week, I think I had three pairs of shoes arrive it's so, on the same day. It's so ridiculous. So, well, I'm wearing the Jordan what 1. What do you got? Jordan 1 Lowe's Concord, which is so funny because we did not talk about this ahead of time. I just told him to wear his favorite pair of shoes. Yeah. And um, this is actually a tribute to this. Exactly. So you can see the patent leather here, the patent leather here. So obviously Jordan 1s, I'm a low guy. Yeah. I'm not as much of a mid or high guy. It just isn't as comfortable for me. And the Jordan 1s are the most comfortable shoes I've ever owned. Which is uh, crazy because I felt like you were really out on that whole concept. Oh, yeah. They just don't look comfortable, yeah. right? But once I got into them, I was like, dang, those are really comfortable. Yeah. So again, Jordan 1 low Concords, the patent leather, which is what they brought from this. Uh, with the upper white, um, it just—I mean—I love the look. I love the shine of the patent leather. They did this nice blue here with kind of like the clear sole, but it has a blue tint to it. They've got the Air Jordan uh, Wings logo on the back, the the Jumpman on the front, and um, I mean, it's just like—I love the fact that it's like old and not new because these are not new, no. but they're newer, right? Yeah. So you're you're talking the Elevens and the Ones, eleven generations apart. But they kind of combine the two. Yeah. I always feel like the thing that I like about, so like the sneaker culture in general is like, they're always kind of giving these little like Easter eggs or like little nods to the past. And it's always like, there's always some type of like you incorporate something, whether it's like a sole or like an Air Max air bubble or like a Jordan patent leather, like a certain lace, a certain material, like a certain colorway of like a silhouette, right? Like it just is. I don't know if I know this sounds crazy for people who are like, who, who cares? They're just shoes. <laughs> like there's so much that I feel like goes into it. That just, that of it resonates with you. And it just, it is like something you're it, that you're passionate about, which, you know, obviously have are passionate guys and about a lot of things like professionally, but yeah, it, that, that sort of passion trickles over into like style and fashion. Yeah. And, like other things too. And, and like, it's like a part of who we are too. Sure. Right. Sure. So it's like the, yeah. the patients, they come in, they always know that I'm going to be wearing a pair of Jordans yeah. and it's going to be different 
because it's going to depend upon my mood that day and what I'm trying to coordinate it with whatever whatever else I'm wearing. You will always catch me in a fresh pair of kicks. I promise. <laughs> so the next portion mm-hmm. is another fun portion before we end it with kind of our, our closing questions sure. wrap up. But uh, we're going to do, and you, you don't even know about this, nope. which is the, the beauty of this. It's called the Sawbones Challenge. You know me. I'm super competitive. Um, I'm wrestling. I, I have to find something that I can win at. Okay. So um, what time is it? It is 8.18. Oh, perfect. We still have daylight. So we're going to go outside. Oh, God. We're going to go outside. We're going to hoop it up a little bit. I you were and <laughs> I'm vertically challenged, for those of you who can't tell, by if me having to, to. I'm going to give you the choice. Okay. All right. Previous episode, we did we did a. A three-point contest, which I think that's probably going to be your number one choice because the other one's going to be a dunk contest. And we will adjust the hoop if you want to, but um, I'm going to leave it up to you if you want to. Yeah, no. Obviously, I can't. Folks, let me explain this to you. I can't dunk, okay? so Even with these kicks on? Not All right, so we're three-pointing it. Yes. So we're going to catch you outside. Three-point challenge. Sawbones challenge. Let's go. And let's keep it real. Hey. let's go you ready saw bones challenge three point competition first to score five wins you ready Okay, so in closing, Trav, um, do you have any questions for me? I might I always like to kind of end it with where do you see yourself in five years, ten years, twenty years? Both personally and professionally. Um you know, professionally, um, obviously I just want to keep growing, right? I mean, growing the business and looking at new opportunities and you know, different avenues for, you know, growth for, you know, not just, you know, myself, but you know. Just other, you know, other things that it's kind of funny the way that your life and the journey that you're on will take you into places that you never imagined in terms of opportunities, skill sets, just other things that are presented to you through something that you thought you would do forever that it's like, wow, I never envisioned owning a DME company from selling sure. breaks. So it's just, you know, those sort of things. So just really embracing the journey and like really just enjoying the process. I know that sounds so so hokey, but I'm having a lot of fun. I'm very fortunate to be around great people every day and great physicians and great referral sources and great partners and really just like team oriented people that are always, you know, I'm looking after them, they're looking after me and just trying to grow and, you know, and just kind of move the needle a little bit, but more so than that, like really blow it up and really do something different. And so for me, that professionally is kind of my hope. 
Well, I have no doubt that you will definitely blow it up because that's what you do. I mean, yeah. you're you're a, a big thinker, uh, outside the box thinker. Sure. I, I love that about you because it's how I like to function and um, approach my days. Um, and you know, it's exciting. I mean, I can't wait to see like what you do. Yeah. Uh, I hope to be part of that, and I hope that we can, you know, sure. continue to collaborate together with that because, um, you know, there's another saying that they always say. It's like. You know, by yourself, you can go fast, but together, you can go far. Yep. Right. And, and and that's the big thing to me is like being nimble, being quick. That's the beauty of having a private practice and kind of being your own boss. Sure. But you got to find like-minded people that are going to be able to do this and, and be along for that journey. So similar to you, like I love the process. Right? It can be painful. It can be tedious at times, but I love the process of growth, thinking outside the box. We have so many projects that we've discussed that I'm really, really excited to uh, eventually be able to kind of like bring to the world. But, uh, you know, let's keep people hanging a little bit. Let's keep them hanging. Uh, On the edges of their seats. And uh, hey, Trav, once again, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you so much. That is Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion. Make sure to stay tuned in uh, because we're going to give a trailer for next week, which is going to be super exciting with our next guest. Uh, but thanks again for tuning in. Again, this is really, really fun for me to do. I want to thank you again, Travis, for coming out to do this. Um, it's very natural, yeah. very easy, being genuine, being authentic. And um, maybe we'll skip the the scrotum conversations. But other than that, let's keep it real. Or not. Take care, guys. That's an outtake. We should have had those drinks. <laughs> yeah, where's the where's the beverage cart? Can we get the cart girl over here? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion. Today's guest is an amazing, uh, unbelievable uh, individual. His name is Bill Spiros. He's an attorney at the McDonald Illig Law Firm here in Erie, Pennsylvania. He uh, was in the U.S. Air Force for over a decade Unbelievable attorney, unbelievable professional locally in Erie, um, unbelievable person. Uh, love him, love his wife Amanda, his children. They're literally like family. Probably one of my favorite people to hang out with, go out to have dinner, drinks with. So stick around. Uh, you aren't going to want to miss this episode. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Um, there's a lot of banter that goes on between the two of us. And at the very end, as always, we have the Sawbones Challenge. You don't want to miss out on that. So stick around to the very end and get ready. This is going to be a fun one. Take care. Can
tell me all about it, Doc.' 